Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. When we look back, it can be tempting to look at the Jewish community at the time of Jesus and ask why they didn't respond to him. They had been primed for his arrival for generations. They knew he was coming, and yet they missed it. While it can be tempting to think that in their shoes, we wouldn't have done that and judged them for the failures that they felt victim to, when we look around us now, those failings haven't gone away. Just like them, we struggle with trying to seem like our relationships are perfect when they aren't. We struggle with trying to be unique and special at the expense of others. And we struggle with our own ego telling us that if we can't do it, it must be the next thing to impossible. So how can we learn from this how to follow Christ better? Let's join Curtis as he dives deeper into the second half of Romans 9. Well, good morning, everyone. If you're watching us or joining us online, welcome to you. I'm glad you're here. Today, we're going to look at Romans 10, actually the end of chapter 9. But Romans 10, if you want to turn to it, open it up on your phone. Well, the end of Romans 9, start of Romans 10. Yes, 9 goes into 10. See how that works? So I've been walking around barefoot more, trying to strengthen my feet, trying to walk with good posture, chin forward, not look down, because that's my tendency. And I usually walk on a well-traveled piece of grass and, and mud um, that's close to where I live. But the other day I was out for a longer walk, and I'm like, okay, let's take my shoes off and walk for a long time. And um, the nice gravel path that I was on, which looked smooth when I was looking like this, was very sharp on my feet <laughs> and hurt. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But I wasn't looking where I was going, right? I was, I was trying to look where I was going, not look at the stones at my feet. Do you know this thing where um, you will look, you will go where you look? If you're biking down a hill, how often have you biked down a hill? <laughs> Nobody's hands are going up. Why? No, thank you. But you're biking down a hill, and if you see a tree, and you think, I've got to avoid that tree, if you look at that tree that you want to avoid, you'll likely run right into it. You have to actually ignore the tree and look where you want to go. So in today's passage, folks are stumbling, and they're stumbling over a rock that's in their path, either because they didn't see it or they were ignoring it. And they're going to stumble over Christ. And the reference comes from the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah is an Old Testament book where God uh, describes and vents out his frustration with his people um, because they don't follow him faithfully and what he intends to do on it. And so at the start of Isaiah, there's this line that says, the Lord is a stone that will cause men to stumble and a rock in which they fall, a rock that makes them fall. And at the end of Romans 9 today, Paul's going to repeat this idea of tripping over the rock, which is Christ. So as review, this section, chapters 9 to 11 in Romans, Paul is trying to answer the question, why did the Jewish community, which was around at the time of Christ, not respond to Jesus? And last week, we looked at how there was a misunderstanding of what it meant to be elected or selected by God to be part of salvation history. That even though God was working through them in a specific way, they still had to respond to him as he worked in their life. And so this week continues. Why are they not, why did they not respond to Jesus? They were tripping over Jesus, who is the rock, because they were looking somewhere else. So let me offer a prayer 
and we'll read. Father, your word speaks, your word is full of life. Would you please speak to us through your word? Would you please draw our attention for each of us to the peace that you would like us to ruminate on and to ponder and to chew on, that it would stay with us? Um, so that, Lord, we grow in being faithful to you, so that we continue to learn how to trust and follow Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. So may you be glorified in your word. Amen. So Romans chapter 9, I'm going to start with verse 30 and go through halfway to verse chapter 10. What does this all mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel, who tried so hard to get it right with God by keeping the law, never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by trying to keep the law instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in Scripture when He said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Chapter 10. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's ways, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by keeping the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all the commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect, for they have the same Lord, who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're going to stop there because this passage is so big and thick that if I include the rest, you'll be like, oh, there's too many details, which is kind of what we had last week. So why did the Israelites at the time of Jesus not accept Jesus and his message? Well, they stumbled over him. They stumbled over having to put faith in him. So the first thing they stumble over is in verse 32 of chapter 9. They pursued being right with God, not by faith, but as if it were by works. So it says, why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in him. They elevated the place of obeying law to be above the role of faith. So if we go back to the beginning, Abraham was called to follow God. God makes him some promises. 
And Abraham believed, and his faith in God, his belief in what God said, was credited to him as righteousness. He was made right before God because he trusted that what God said was going to happen. That's the story. Uh, the story started with God's grace and then a human response of faith and trust. That's where it starts. And that's how the story worked for several hundred years. It stayed in that place of God makes a promise, God says something we trust, we respond, but it's a relationship of faith. And then 400 years later, 500 years later, God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt, then he gives them laws to follow. Not as a way to earn acceptance because they've already been accepted, but as a way to respond to what he's given them. Grace first, then a response. But over time, the people of Israel trusted God with their hearts less and less, and they became more focused on external obedience, obeying the laws. We do these sacrifices to make amends for our sins. We follow these moral laws and ethical laws. And as they were doing that, God would send prophets who would say, your hearts are far from God. <clears throat> God would say, you honor me with your mouth, but your hearts don't live out of that place of trusting me and wanting to be faithful to me. So law and obedience took a higher role than faith and trust. And so the Lord Almighty, their God, their rock, becomes the very thing that they trip over because they're not relating with him. So imagine you want to be a good parent and you're reading a book on how do I be a good parent and you finish that book and you pick up another book. How do I be a good parent? And you put that book down, you grab up another book. How do I be a good parent? And you're so busy reading books, you've got no time to spend with your kids. It's that. We're, we're so concerned about obeying the law, we don't have time to relate with the God that this is all about. So that was the first thing to stumble over. Does this pattern still show up in us today? Yes. Especially when you're feeling a little insecure towards God. You know, you'll have that tendency, I don't feel like something with God is out of step, so I'm going to lean into doing everything right. I'm going to do my part well. I'm going to live good. And that will get God back on my side, or I'll feel like he's with me, and I can then settle. Things will go better for me. And so we trip and stumble over the rock, which is Christ, which is about faith. And instead, we elevate obedience and law as the way to establish that relationship. Jesus is the rock. We trust him first, then we respond. So imagine you, you've got someone close to you, and you've done something wrong, and you've hurt them, and you feel bad about it and you know you're out of sorts and you need to reconcile with this person. One option is you just try to be perfect around that person for a couple weeks. I'm just gonna be perfect and hope that by me being perfect and doing everything right, that they will forgive me. Or there's another path where you sit with that person and you admit what you did that was wrong and you ask for their forgiveness. And then you figure out how to make the situation that you, you're in better. Or if you can't make it better, you, you at least think, you, you ask yourself, how can I learn about what happened so I don't do it again? There's a real big difference between the nature 
of those two things. The second way, asking for forgiveness and then working on the problem is much more vulnerable. And it re there's a real risk that you'll be rejected. But it's also more productive because you're trying to solve a problem and learn rather than trying to be perfect to make someone else like you. Like you're actually getting at the problem itself the second way. So we still have a tendency to elevate law, to elevate behavior, to be more central than the relationship of trust and faith and relating. So that's the first thing they stumbled over. So the second thing, what was the second thing they stumbled over? Before we get there, let's remember Paul, before Paul was a disciple of Jesus, he was a very enthusiastic Israelite. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader in his community and a teacher. And he has special insight into their world and into their thinking. And he has a deep love for his people. Why that's important is he's not an outsider criticizing and complaining and making judgments about this crowd of folk, people. He's an insider lamenting over mistakes he made and that he knows his, his people are still making. So that's a different authority when you speak as an insider. And so the second thing they stumble over is in the start of chapter 10. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. But Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Verse 3. Another way to translate verse 3 is, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own and did not submit to God's righteousness. And a lot of writers are asking, what does it mean to establish their own righteousness? And several of the commentators talked about a perspective where they wanted to keep right standing with God through the law for themselves. That keeping the law was part of their national identity and they didn't want other nations to participate and change their identity. Or I, let me say it like this, their identity as a people came through their obedience to law. It's what made them unique and they didn't want that uniqueness to be destroyed by having people who behave differently be part of their community. And that desire to keep their uniqueness became a higher priority than the call to represent God in the world and be used by God to reach others. So they would stumble over this idea that everyone could be made right by faith and all become part of their community because that special piece of identity was about law. So they clung to their own way of being right with God. They wanted to establish, this is our righteousness. This is how we behave by the law. This is how we are God's people. 
I, I think that, I thought it was really interesting to have writers talk about this. So I grew up part of the Dutch Reformed tradition, and I remember being young, and uh, you know when you're young, you listen to relatives talk in the other room, and um, you're not part of the conversation, but you get to eavesdrop when you're young. So I remember relatives talking about somebody who had left that, our particular local church to become part of a Baptist church. Was that okay? And they were talking about one of their relatives, and I don't remember who, who thought that our particular, you know, when I was a child, our particular denomination was the only one that actually got it right and the only one that God was going to save. And so obviously by going to a Baptist church, that person was now outside the faith. You ever encountered that idea? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. You're all going like this. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes churches respond to cultural values and, and things that are going on around them by isolating. And that's not actually just churches. People do this. We have our way of doing things, our values, and we don't want them influenced and changed by other people. So we're going to pull away and protect our identity by keeping our particular behavior. That's normal human behavior. But compare that with the mandate that God will work through his people to reach other people. That God always intends for his kingdom to grow and include more. And you can see how quickly one desire gets compromised by the other desire. And yet, the values and practices that we encounter in society, we don't actually always want them heavily influencing the church, especially if they're non-biblical or um, are against God's ways. We actually do want to, people do want to protect themselves from those practices. So there's an inherent tension here. And that might be a question to discuss later in the little circle discussion afterwards. How to balance reaching the world and always inviting more people in without compromising on God-honoring, God-oriented behavior and practices. There is a tension there. So that's their second thing they're stumbling on. We want to be Israel and be unique as God's people, and we can't have this faith, everybody's invited idea be part of it. Be part of us. And then the third thing Paul highlights that I think uh, speaks to stumbling over Christ is in verse 6. Faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life? In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. So Paul is poking at the arrogance and self-reliance that can get in the way of faith. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I can figure this out. And Paul's saying, it doesn't matter how smart and how good you are. The message of God is very close, and it's very easy to understand, and it's right in front of you. So let me unpack. When we encounter a passage of Scripture that quotes another passage of Scripture, it invites us to go back and read that other passage. And sometimes it's a proof text. He's quoting something over here to prove a point here. At other times, he's quoting what's going on over there, like in the past part of Scripture, to say, 
see, it's just like how it happened then. Like, this is another version of what has already happened. And so Paul is making two quotes from Deuteronomy, which is a book where Moses gives the law. And he makes two quotes, and they're very short. And the first quote is, don't say in your heart. And you might think, how on earth would I know that that's a quote from a particular, particular verse in the Old Testament? And I did not know this myself until a scholar the other day pointed out that that phrase only shows up once in the Old Testament. And the full version is, and you'll get this, the full version is, so uh, this is God talking to his people just before they go into the promised land. God says, don't say in your heart, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of the land of Canaan because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord will drive them out before you. Understand, it is not because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Ah, so in that little line, don't say in your heart, it's poking at our tendency to be arrogant about our own goodness. God is doing this for me because I am so good. No. We think we are good people, we assume it, and that makes it hard to seek out God's goodness. John Calvin, I believe it was John Calvin who said, we actually have to let go of our righteousness in order to accept God's righteousness. We have to realize we're not good in order to grab for, for, some, for God's definition of being good. And that journey can be painful, right? Of realizing, oh, everything, like I thought I was good, but the results of my behavior has been destruction. The results of the things I've really tried to do have, have been people getting hurt. What I think is good actually isn't good. Like that's a painful journey, but it's necessary to let go of our, our understanding of our own righteousness to accept Christ. And then he launches, he goes from that idea into the second quote, which is where Moses tells his people, Moses has been listing out all the blessings of obedience to the covenant and all the curses of disobedience. And after all of this stuff in Deuteronomy, Moses said, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you, or is it beyond your reach? It's not up in heaven that you have to ask, who will ascend to heaven and proclaim it to us? It's not across the sea or in the deep that you have to send someone to go get it. It's right here. It's, on your, it's, uh, it's right in front of you. And Moses' point is, faith is close. Obedience is easy. It's simple to trust in God. It's, it's right in front of you. So you don't have to search hard for it. And that sounds too simple. And that's what we stumble over. To realize, it's one thing that we stumble because we, we stumble to realize that our good is not good. We stumble to realize that God is actually making it very easy for us to get help. We think it's got to be this very complex thing. You may have read in the news this week that three times our earth, the earth, set an unofficial heat record. Did you read about this? So on Tuesday, the worldwide average temperature was up to 17.18 degrees Celsius. That was the highest on record. Wednesday, we matched it. On Thursday, it went to 17.23 degrees Celsius, like the hottest on record. Um, and, and they said in uh, uh, Jinsing, China, it was 43.3 degrees. Like, that's toasty. And even in Antarctica, it was four and a half degrees warmer than normal for the week. 
And you think, what does God have to say about environmental issues? Would being made right with God have any effect on this at all? Of course. Because if we're made right with God, we have access to his wisdom and his guidance. We can discern what's going on. What would God have to say about the problems in, about the problems in Canada right now? You know, the process of reconciliation and of truth-telling. Would, would God have anything to say about this? Well, it seems too easy to ask God for help. We gotta, it's got to be much harder than that. To have access to his wisdom and to his guidance. And yet, for as complex as we expect it to be, there are his people across Canada, across the world, who are humble and they're reliant, who pray and they seek truth and wisdom and they just follow what God puts in front of them. And they depend more on God than on themselves. And God works through them to heal and to restore. God is very quietly working through his people to bring peace to chaotic situations, to bring stability and hope and life. So the passage from Deuteronomy referred to speaking and to the heart. And so Paul says in verse 9, what the heart and the mouth should be focused on. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And as scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. We have the same Lord who generously gives to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So let me summarize, and then we can discuss what we've, what's drawn your attention. Paul, in his love for his people, is outlining three reasons why, why did they not accept Jesus? They stumbled over having to put faith in him. So first, they elevated the acts of the law to be more important than the role of faith, and that is easy to do. But there is a difference between trying to get it all right in order to get a relationship restored compared to facing the relationship first, being forgiven, and then working to figure out how to repair what went wrong or how to learn. Second, they sought sought to establish their own righteousness. Their identity was based in their law, and they did not want other people, Gentiles, to be included. And we said it is human nature to want to protect our uniqueness, but it has to be balanced with God's mandate that the kingdom of God is to grow and include other nations. How do we do that and yet also protect ourselves from unbiblical and damaging influences? And the third obstacle is that faith is easy and straightforward, and we stumble over it because of our arrogance about our own goodness that we have to let go of, and we stumble into thinking it has to be hard and confusing. It's simple, and that can cause us to stumble. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So that's that first part of the end of chapter 9, first part of chapter 10. What, um, where's the Holy Spirit kind of been drawing your attention this morning? How has he been speaking to you? Where is he? How has he got you thinking? So um, I guess my mind was being drawn to two different things this morning. 
Um, so first, you had talked about how when we relate with God, sometimes when we've done something wrong, we uh, can try and deal with it by like trying to do everything perfect and like ignoring the problem until it just goes away. And I'm like, that's a that's bonkers. No one would do that. And then I realized my husband and his uncle do that multiple times a year for months at a time. It is so infuriating. And it makes the house just feel toxic and angry and everybody just is mad for like six months and no one's talking to anybody and nobody's saying anything. And then it just kind of goes away, but it just simmers for another couple of months until it pops up again. And it's an awful way to live. And we do that to God? How dare we? Rainey's phrase is, that does not sound like a happy life. It's not. That's it one doesn't of sound like a happy life. Because it isn't. And I never thought about that. And that's terrible. Uh, and then the other thing that I was, uh, that my brain was drawn to this morning was a little bit further on. You were talking about how we have trouble accepting God's righteousness because we're clinging to our own. And the mental image that I got is, so I'm terrible at rock climbing. I will, I will just put this out there. I am absolutely objectively terrified of everything to do with heights. And somehow my husband convinced me to go rock climbing for a date, which was interesting. I got about probably a third of the way up the wall. I wasn't even like five feet off the ground. And I froze and I could not physically let go of the wall. I knew there was the rope. I knew Rainy had the other end of the rope. He's done this before. He was belaying. He was doing a great job. I could not let go of the wall. They actually had to send somebody up to peel me <laughs> off the wall. It was terrible. And, and that was just the mental image of, we knew we cannot physically get ourselves down. We cannot physically get ourselves up, but we just have to hold on for dear life because if we let go, what could happen? Yeah, beautiful. That's a great image. Yeah, yeah. Good image. Yeah, I'll take that out of your job description. There we go. <laughs> I should put that in, see what happens. Curtis, thanks for this part of scripture and opening that up. You talked about the times of tension in relationship that we fall into between like trying to all do it a certain way to be perfect, like under one system, instead of letting go of that sure thing that Jess was just alluding to and trusting in a relationship that is now there to carry us, yeah. to do what we can accomplish on our own. And part of that faith response is actually trusting that, like Jess had described, that there's something there that is maybe invisible, that is not as tangible as doing the law, but there's something there that will lead and guide. And that's the faith thing that needs to be strengthened. And I'm particularly thinking about that as we are in this time of needing to step away from like ways of relating to God uh, that are the sure things and move towards the other. And I talk about that in my mind right now, that's um, our indigenous neighbors in terms of truth and reconciliation, that whole process that you alluded to. And I, I think of that in terms of uh, my work and the queer community as well and how it is messy in terms of 
because there's just so much we come with that we've not done right. But it is the direction of love to go towards. Yeah. And in this case, in both of these circumstances, it's not because we have all the answers, but it's the direction of love again to take the step forward towards the other, to trust that in that stepping forward, the Spirit of God, who is love, will be there and help us to discern what are the correct ways of interacting in truth and in reconciliation. And it's messy. I'm reminded a little bit of the healings of Christ when he would ask people to do kind of bizarre things like go bathe in a river or, or allow me to put this mud on your eyes. And God could heal just like that. So what is it about these steps? But he does ask us to take steps that may be counterintuitive that are really simply about submitting to his lordship. And he then blesses that with something much more. Thanks. Yeah, nice. You were using the words easy and simple kind of interchangeably. And I just... What did I do wrong? (laughs) No, no, no. It's just that for me, it feels important to peel them apart. Sure. Because something being easy, we understand that. It's like, oh, that was easy. That was easy, you remember? But... um, but something being simple might also be extremely difficult. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, easy just means, oh, that was like, like no effort. No, that was, that was, you know, I hardly had to think about it. But simple could be very simple and still be very difficult. And I think sometimes we are offended by how simple some of the things God asks of us or some of the things he offers to us are because we want it to be complicated because we are special and we are important and this is a really big problem it must need a really big solution so when god's like well just be still and and know that i'm god and trust that i you are not alone it's like no no it's got to be way bigger than that i want a dump truck i want fire sirens i want the thing this is bad you don't understand and so we don't have the i think it's it's actually really healthy for us to develop the the habit of going oh there it is again there's me being arrogant that's me being you know thinking i i need the fire sirens like just to be able to accept a simple thing and recognize that that it might actually be very difficult for me to say, okay, I'm going to trust you. And then three minutes later, go, right. I chose to trust you. That's my job. I got to try. Okay. okay." And then four minutes later, oh, okay. I got to trust you. Like like that, that is actually really difficult, but it's simple. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those things can go together. So if it's something is really difficult, it doesn't mean it's not simple. And just because it's simple, doesn't mean it's not exactly what you need and and, and really effective. So I think those, it's important to. That's great. The, the 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 refreshment of being able to say, oh, there's me being thinking I'm the center of the world again. It's just simple. I can just take it. So anyway. That's great. That's good. Christine's kind of on the same wavelength as, as I am, but I'm going to state it in a different way. This is all about control. That we want control. So by following the law, we have control. That allows us to be proud. It allows us to exclude others. And that to demand things be our way. If we just let go and let God, then, hey, anybody can do that. And like Christine was saying, you know, you know we're special, so we can't 
have people who aren't special, you know, be part of this. You mentioned about including others, but being careful not to introduce that which is ungodly. Well, yeah, I mean, you get what I was trying to get at. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even if my words weren't perfect. Ungodly in whose view? Yeah. That when we look at Jesus, who did he include in his circle? Yes. A whole lot of people who the religious people considered to be extremely ungodly. Yeah. Jesus didn't look at it that way at all. Yep. No. Scandalous. Yeah, I, I agree with that perspective, Barry. I think yeah. the other side is um, lambs follow, lambs are really susceptible. And so like young, like a, a, a lamb yep. will follow anybody, right? They're young Christians, young people who are very young are susceptible. And we want to not just say, no, you know, everything's fine. There is a sense of, you know, we want to teach how to walk well, that some behaviors will be destructive. And, and I think that's the, the balance that, that exists. I mean, I, doesn't... The church has a history of declaring things ungodly, unhealthy, that... Looking back, we just think it was a disaster. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I really enjoyed that. And then, Curtis, did you say about the second quote? Because where it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. Well, that's, that's, that's it. Joel chapter 2. It is, actually, yes. And Joel chapter 2 is quoted by Peter, as you know, at Pentecost. Yes. And... As the world... The call, yes, the call to everyone, the call the to the Gentiles. Yeah, like God is going to do this and he's going to give dreams to old men and visions to young people, men and women, and I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And so that just is so exciting that that offer is so generous. Yeah, right to what you were saying earlier. This is Paul. Hey, Paul's having a heyday with his memory of scripture through these chapters. Yeah, let me just uh, throw out there that, that quote, we have to let go of our righteousness in order to take on Christ's righteousness. That's basically conversion in a nutshell. Yeah. Because we're born trying to do it ourselves. We're born with the broken idea that we have this righteousness inside us, that we are gods. We are our own be-all and end-all. And coming to Christ is realizing that no. We aren't nothing that without Christ, that we are literally lost. Yeah. Oh, good. Let me offer a prayer and then we'll, um, we'll sing and then we'll desert. Father, Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you that we get to spend time just being with each other and leaning into loving each other and caring for each other serving together and also learning um, from your word and spending time with you. Father, I, I love how eloquent Paul is writing with this, this image of just stumbling over the heart of just trusting Jesus who is our rock. And it's so straightforward and yet, and yet we stumble over it. So Father, Father, please continue the work you're doing in our heart, um, helping us to be free, to be, who we, to, be, to be your people, and to serve you faithfully as we live.
Jesus, thank you that we get to believe in you, to know you, and your righteousness is credited to us. Thank you for the work you have done. And Holy Spirit, please continue the work in our heart of, of helping us to realize and actualize what Jesus has done and how it affects how we live day to day. Yeah, Lord, thank you. We praise your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.